We've thought a lot this morning about the love of God. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. This is the very definition of love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Father, as we celebrate what your love has meant in our lives, we pray that that would uh, overflow into how we operate in the lives of those around us. Father, I pray that we'd not only know your love more ourselves, but the transformation that comes as you live within us, the transformation that comes from knowing we're forgiven, we are forgiven, we are loved, that that would, would, would change how we operate, that we would love others well, that as you have laid down your life for us, so we would lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Father, as we come to open your word now, back to the book of Acts, Lord, we ask that you would um, open our eyes to what is true, that you would give us uh, and enable us to have soft and responsive hearts. Father, we don't want to just be the same, but we want to be being transformed. Father, we pray for Christy. We thank you for him and we, we pray, Lord, that as he speaks and shares now, we would know your, your, your guidance, your comfort, your uh, direction. And Lord, we, uh, we um, lift him and ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. What a wonderful reminder this morning by the songs um, that we sung as well as the encouragement that have been given about that strong foundation of God's love. Probably almost every week it can feel like you're walking on sinking sands and uh, sometimes it's a, it's a long journey, sometimes it's sudden events. And to know that we're anchored in something that is so strong as the love of God is so helpful to us as we continue to walk this Christian life as the Spirit of God guides us. As Ian was saying, we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts called Normal Church. And uh, I guess there would have been some of you uh, who would have been worshipping with us for a while who would have known that we often go into the book of Acts. And uh, it can probably be a conundrum, thinking, well, why, why do we keep going there? We've been there before. We, we looked at that. I remember of a pastor that uh, kept preaching on the same passage week after week after week after week. And the congregation got a bit, a little bit frustrated thinking, you know, why are you preaching the same message again from the same passage week after week after week? You can guess the answer. He says, you probably need to hear it because I'm not seeing that we're getting it. It's not entirely true. But one thing is for sure. We live in momentous times at the moment. If your finger is on the pulse in terms of the relig religious landscape of Britain, I think the next week would be, and I'm not a prophet, um, but I'm an amateur observer of um, events within the church, uh, a wide church in the nation. 
I would say it will probably be one of those weeks that will be remembered in history. Uh, the Church of England has to make a very significant decision. Uh, the House of Bishops have to decide which way they will go. And uh, frankly, either there's an adherence to uh, an, a biblical, conservative, orthodox teaching, which will result in being absolutely mauled by the society around, including the politicians. I think Parliament will kick into gear, even possibly looking at disestablishing the Church of England as a state church. So I think a lot of things could be placed into action. That's one scenario. The other scenario is there's a compromise on that, which will probably result to a schism in the Church of England. That's my sort of um, pundit on the armchair observers of what is happening. One thing is for sure, seriously, if our finger is on the poles, this is huge for the nation and the religious landscape of the nation. It's all par with the results of the last census. What, what, whatever you believe about numbers and statistics, they all tell a story. One thing is for sure, for the very first time in the history of the British nation, the number of Christians is below 50%. And when you look and break it down in terms of nominal Christians and what we would probably call alive Christians or whatever you want, uh, term you want to use, that's even more staggering in that. That's the truth. That's the reality. So you're asking me, why are we going back into Acts? Why are we looking at the early church? Why are we trying to shape our life as a community of Christ followers in this town and beyond in this region by looking at this? Because for me, that is the paradigm where we need to go. That is the identity of who we need to be. And it's absolutely paramount that we let Scripture dictate that. Even with the issue that is at stake for the Church of England, uh, I guess that, that there's, there's, there's so much difficulty about it. Because there are emotional connections that people have with members of their family, with friends, neighbors, relatives. And you would want to go one way. And yet you have the word of God and the teaching that has been going over thousands of years that clearly states something else. And for me, my fear is you look at the Church of England and the situation it's got into now. And you want to kind of point the finger and say, well, that's not us. And I want to ask the question, how could you be sure? How can you be sure? It's just a matter of time. If there is enough pressure from society, if there is enough emotional pull with members of your family giving you an incredibly hard time because you hold the belief that is taught in Scripture yet doesn't align itself with the current ideology, which way are you going to go? What's at stake? Are we going to hold on to God's word and what the early church is modeling? Are we going to let this become our manual and what guides us instead of our own feelings or the sway of the society in which we live in? Because that's the trajectory that we're going on. And this is why I totally believe it's right for us to look 
at the early church to look in the book of Acts. And some of the things that we're looking at in the book of Acts, they are descriptive. They just show what it's like, and some of them are prescriptive. And we need to understand the difference between the two and how we can apply in our own context those that are prescriptive, those things that are non-negotiables, those things that we keep going on. So we're picking up the story. I'm just trying to convince you that this is serious. Because you might be saying, well, I've heard it all before. This passage, we've looked at it before. This is serious. It's a foundation. And like we looked at the foundation of the love of God throughout the service now, this is equally a foundation for us to stand on. Because let me tell you, when the going gets tough and decisions have to be made, don't trust your emotions. Trust your convictions. And the convictions are based on what the Word of God says. Acted in humility, in love, being willing to pay the price, but not swaying, not going away. We're picking up the story where Ian's left it last week, where we've seen the, the, at, at the day of Pentecost, the believers gathered together experienced an, a, a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which manifested itself in an incredibly puzzling, attractive, interesting way so that the people around them paid attention. They wanted to know what on earth is going on. And under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up before that crowd, a potentially hostile crowd, and begins to preach Christ very clearly with an exhortation to respond, to come to Christ, to repent, to embrace him as Lord and Savior. And in a staggering way, again, under the influence and authority and the work of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people on that day to one message respond and publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized and showing to the whole watching world who they follow, who they believe in, who is their Lord and Savior. And you want to ask the question, well, what happens next? And this is a, 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 a thing that, that, that bothers me. And again, talking about foundations, I always think that and you will know this if you're watching architecture or even if you're just looking at your own house and seeing certain things just kind of not be well. Sometimes it's an issue of foundations. The structure just wasn't right. Mum and dad have almost every week a little argument. You know how wives and husbands have a little go-to thing, that they, an ace that they throw on the table in an argument. Something that you've done in the past, something you've said in the past, you're all looking like I'm talking about somebody else. I'm sure you all know, unless you're such godly people, no, none of you have ever done this. I'll tell you one of the aces the mom throws on, 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 on the table uh, almost every week. There's in you know, a discussion in a, you know, in a thing. When they, uh, we had a little extension uh, at the house, there was like a bit of a shed that was falling apart, and we demolished it and just rebuilt it. You know, as a kind of standalone one bedroom, uh, uh, one kitchen diner, and a, a, a toilet uh, with a bathroom in it. 
And when they built it, mom always said, look, you've got to put it a little bit higher up. The, the place where we live in is a little bit marshy. There's a lake, you know, behind our house. And mom said, we've got to put it a little bit up. And dad just couldn't be bothered. He said, it's extra work. We're not going to do it. Extra money, extra work, not going to do it. And I'm telling you, every time it rains, I'm in fear and trembling that it's going to be getting, you know, flooded. So every single time, mom just brings it out. See? That step you never put in, that, you know, lifting it high. You never listen to me. never listen to me. You always think you know best. You know, it's that kind of thing that sometimes is in there. And very much when it comes to foundations, we need to have the right foundations. Those people became followers of Jesus. They made a public decision. Now what? What is going to be the foundation, the strong, solid foundation that they're going to build their lives on? To make sure they don't sink. I can tell you. I could ask you right now. How many people do you know from your own life. From your own uh, work, uh, walk with Christ. Where you've walked with somebody else. And they no longer walk with Jesus. Almost every single one of us would have one, two, three, four, five, seven hands. That we could put up to say I know many people. They were like that. And we're not talking about people who are unsaved. We're talking about people who are full on. Some of them were in ministry. Some of them were leaders. And they're no longer walking with Christ. What on earth happened? Or people that made these big statements. We're going to follow Jesus. And people say, oh, they're going to be the next evangelist. And then they go, you know, and do something incredibly stupid that is incredibly not Christ-like. And obviously didn't have a good foundation. Well, the early church is so smart in this. And this is about that sense of really having good, healthy foundations in this. And there's, there's four things that are paramount in the early church in terms of foundations. And you've heard them. All I'm going to do is remind them to you this morning. Because you'll be familiar with them. But they're so important to be reminded of again. And here is the verse that we got on the screen, Acts 2.42. This is the only thing that we're going to look at this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Four things like a chair, four solid feet to the chair that enables the, the chair to stand balanced and safe and secure. And right at the very beginning, look at the how, the process that happens there. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. There was an intensity to it. Let me state it really strongly. We're never going to be solid in our walk with Christ. We're never going to grow in our maturity unless there's going to be some intensity to us. Half-heartedness is not on the books. One of the most chastised churches in Revelation is the church in Laodicea. who was lukewarm. I mean, frankly, we kind of love, love a bit of lukewarm. We kind of say, well, I'm not as bad as. I know I'm not brilliant, but I'm not as bad as. I'm kind of in the middle. And we take pride in saying, I'm kind of in the middle. A bit mediocre. That's not an option, spiritually speaking. Jesus says, I don't like that. In fact, I'm barfing it out of my mouth. I'm vomiting it. It's disgusting. I'd rather you be cold or hot. Lukewarm is not an option. So those people who became disciples of Jesus, who made that public statement of faith, they have that intensity, that passion. It says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And the other thing is they devoted themselves. It wasn't coerced. 
It wasn't a pastor begging. I mean, I, I, I was remembering this week. And I was saying to my mom, you know, I said, I, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year. So I'm, I'm starting this crazy thing with nostalgia, you know. How good were the old times kind of thing. And I, I was remembering one, one of the largest churches in the city back at home, First Baptist Church. They uh, actually, when I went home, I, I spoke and I was saying to the pastor, I said, can you see that bit in the roof? And they had some sort of, you know, tiles that they put in the roof. I said, I worked. At 14, I worked and helped mold those tiles because they built the church with the people in the church. The whole church is like a, you know, 2,000 seater. It's massive. It's huge. It was all built with people from church. But I vividly remember the pastor, (laughs) Pastor Peter, every Sunday he used to say, Monday, who's coming to work at the church? Come on, hands up, you know. Well, hands up, you're promising before God you're coming to work at church, you know. And he was trying to motivate the people, particularly when the going got tough. You know, he was motivating people. There was no coercion here. There was no sense in which the people were saying, oh, you have to do it. But there was something from the inside, that intentionality. They devoted themselves. They knew they wanted to grow in Christ. And that needs to come from every single one of us. It isn't just about the pastor pushing. It isn't just about the leaders, you know, all the time trying to pull. But it is about every single one of us living with that sense of, I want to grow spiritually. I need to grow spiritually. I cannot stay lukewarm. There's a real need for me to actually do something about this and be intentional. And have that intensity. What is it that really helps us to grow spiritually? First of all, instruction. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was something that Jesus mentioned when he spoke in a, in, in a great commission. Uh, just before um, we get to the end of John's gospel... We find this amazing passage in which Jesus talks about the desire that he has for the disciples and how they should live, what they should prioritize in their own life. And John 21 verses 19 to 20, Jesus is giving what is known in the Bible as the Great Commission. And he's speaking to them and he's encouraging them to actually go into the hall. It's Matthew, actually. <laughs> it's not John. Uh, There's that sense in which Jesus is saying to them, go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations and teaching them, teaching them what? What is he teaching? To obey everything that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 90 to 20. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So those believers are coming under instruction. What is it that they learn? They learn everything that Jesus commanded them. Teaching them everything that I have commanded them to do. It's practical. It's applicative. It's one of the things that we try to do when we preach at CFM. It's one of my pet peeves. You go somewhere and you get a lecture and an exposition on a Bible text. And you go home and you go, I'm well informed. And most of the time in pastoral conversations with people, I find people who know a lot of theology and a lot of theory, but they can't quite connect the dots between Sunday and Monday. 
And that's why it's so important when we bring God's word to attempt prophetically to say this is what it could look like. And obviously there's no way it applies, all the application applies to everybody, but at least it sparks in our imagination something that could be happening there. But it has to be practical. Do everything. Do everything that I have commanded you. It's a command. It's not an advice. Jesus doesn't just give good advice, tips. It's a command. It has to be obeyed. It's got a sort of military edge to it in which we don't just kind of sit there and go, yeah, you know, I like that. I don't like that. Pick and mix. No, what Jesus says is commanded. When Paul is writing to Timothy and in explaining the benefits of the scripture, he said the scripture is good to train, to rebuke, to equip. Ah, Don't we need all that? I need that in my life. I need training on how to live this Christian life. I need rebuking because I'm dumb and I do dumb stuff. And I need the Holy Spirit to open the scriptures to me and to say, hey, don't do that. That's not what the word says. That's not what the heart of God is about. It instructs, it equips, it rebukes, it helps us. That's why instruction is so important. It teaches us how to do things and what not to do. And they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And there is an attitude that is really important. And and, and very often Spurgeon used to say, it's so important that actually we don't sit above the word of God in judgment, but we sit under the word of God in submission. Sometimes we can't be like that. Or maybe it's just me. You know, somebody preaches and preaches something I don't like. I kind of stand above. It's like, oh, don't like it. Instead of submitting myself going, oh, no, I don't like it, but it's true. I need to hear this. And it's so important to have that sense of being under instruction. And my encouragement for us practically is to actually, (laughs) we live in a crazy world where I, I think the pandemic has done a lot of damage to the church, even when it comes to the whole aspect of teaching. I think a lot of churches haven't streamed before. Um, Interestingly enough, churches in Romania have been live streaming for about 15, 20 years. So this is nothing new over there. But for the rest of us, a lot of churches haven't streamed before. And now people are shopping where they get their teaching. You know, and they get a teaching from Ian and Alan and Christy. And that's kind of put in a place. And then they get, I don't know, John Piper, T.D. Jakes, you know, Joel Osteen, whatever crazy... Stuff people listen to, Fertig or anybody else. And suddenly, the authority of the local teacher within the church is kind of either alongside, and sometimes I've even had people say to me, oh, I don't like it because I'm listening to so-and-so, and they say this. <laughs> and there's an, you know, sometimes you, I, I just wish you could hear my, my, you know, my, my thoughts. I would probably get sacked, you know, 10 times a month. You know, because I want to say, well, why don't you move to Dallas? You know, seriously, let them pastor you. When you've got your baby dedication, get T.D. Jakes to do the baby dedication. You know, when the funeral's on, just ring John Piper. We sit with God's word and prayerfully with you in mind, looking at us, who we are. (laughs) We're not great. There are much better communicators and much better expositors than we are. But our heart is to bring that word of God for you. For you. 
We're not just pulling a commentary out and reading it out. We think of you. We think of the challenges you're facing. We think of the weeks you're having. We think of the questions you're having. And we say, Spirit of God, speak prophetically. What is it that you want for us? What is it that you want to say to us and teach us? My encouragement very practically is for you to come with that kind of heart that is saying, okay, I know there's loads of other people out there that say stuff. And I'm not saying don't listen. I listen to other people. But if I would be an attender in a local church, it w- I'm coming here because I want to hear God's word for, for, for me, uh, uh, spoken by those who love this community and speaking to that. So pray for yourselves as you come to have open hearts and pray for us that we will be faithful and we will be wise and we would be in tune with what the Spirit of God has to say. Because that instruction is really significant. The other one is interconnection. I've got all eyes. I just find it easier to remember. And some of you are probably on the same wavelength uh, of mind that I am. The rest of you will just suffer it. But it's interconnection. I'm not going to dwell a lot because Ian spoke into that. But it's that whole idea of being together. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. That's enough, having everything in common, being in common, being together. And the amazing thing about being interconnected is that every single image of church has that element. The church in the New Testament, the metaphors are being used. One is a body. One is a building or a temple. Everything about it has that idea of interconnectedness that is there. It's not individual. It's not separate, but it's connected to something else, something bigger. And as we've seen last week, that the way they do relationships within the church is kind of two things. One of them is worship. They worship together, and then they fellowship together. They go together and they worship both in the public square, in the private place. They have meals together. They encourage one another to share each other's burdens, even financially supporting one another. Let me just simply say this. Here's a line for us this morning. It isn't just about Sundays. Unfortunately, larger churches, and we are now stepping into sort of slightly larger church. The difficulty is that we make it all about Sundays. It isn't just about Sundays. If we're the body of Christ, it is about whole life, whole week life not just about Sundays. And I think if my approach and your approach is going to be, I'm just going to be a Sunday person, you're going to miss out on a lot. And other people are going to miss out by you not being there. It's not just about Sundays. It is about everything that we do together. And the other one that I want to leave with you this morning about interconnectedness, Sunday is not just about me. Sunday is not just about me. Increasingly, as pastors, get your violins out, (laughs) we're finding it hard both to host and welcome new people and care for people. Because numbers are increasing. Obviously, not everybody's here this Sunday, but if everybody would be here, actually, probably, we we wouldn't all fit in. On the books, there's about 300 people at CFM. You know, some of those people don't attend. 
for various reasons, but they still belong to us. They don't go anywhere. The Lord has placed them in our care and love. It's really hard. And by adding staff and more staff and more staff doesn't solve the problem. What we need is a particular type of culture. And that means that Sunday isn't just about me. I'm not just coming on Sunday thinking I want to have all my needs met. But I'm coming on Sunday with the eyes of Jesus saying, how can I be an encouragement to other people? We could have, and we looked at this idea, we could have a welcome team that looks after new people. And when new people come, and you've seen them in other churches, and if you're a trendy church, they've got the t-shirt on. And if you're a traditional church, you've got a lanyard on, you know, where it says Joe, you know, not you, Joe, welcome team or something like that. Do you know what? That is cold and artificial, and I hate it. I hate it. You might like it. It's just like the person, you know, that's speaking to you at the hospital or at the bank or wherever because they have to and they're being paid to. Uh, I would love for all of us, very naturally, inspired by the love of Christ, to be those welcoming people. So it's not a person with a badge that's speaking to you. I'm not stupid. If I'm going to one of those churches, I know who's speaking to me and why they're speaking to me. I want us to be that community, you know, of people that, and frankly, some of you are saying to me, it, 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 it was recently, uh, I'm trying to, to remember. Yeah, it was Beth. Beth was in a Zoom. She won't mind me. To, you know, it's not a secret. Uh, Beth uh, Ellershaw. She was in a Zoom in a week of prayer with four or five other people. She didn't know any of them. She's a worship leader. We don't know each other. And you might say, well, I don't know people. Well, here's what I'm suggesting. Instead of having another team with badges and T-shirts, what about every Sunday? You don't know somebody? Just say hello to them. And be like I am. I'm, I even forget. Sometimes I've had people that have been three times, and I missed it. And I say to them, I'm really sorry. I'm coming to you. You probably have been before, but I'm stupid and dumb. You might want to use other words. You know, or I forget. And I just, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, I, I'm saying something and I'm engaging with you than trying to do. It's like, you know, I saw somebody in a shop the other day. You know, that I thought looked like somebody that I knew. And I thought, do, do I say something to them? And I thought, I'm not going to be rude. And I went and said it to them. And I, after I said it to them, I thought, it was a lady. I thought, it's not her. But I'd rather, I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather be polite and be wrong, okay, than be cold. And people are saying, well, there's somebody else that's going to do it. Don't say that. Because everybody else is saying the same thing. So, you know, when you're around and there's people you don't know, just say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Can I say hello? My name is Gary, you know, and I live in California. What about you? Have you been coming here for a while? You know, how to, you know. If you don't know what to ask, just, you know, ask them about their shoe size or something like that, whatever it is. The point is, it's interconnectedness. We have to do that. Otherwise, we're going to become a cold church that's simply an event on a Sunday where I'm coming to have my needs met. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, you're going to get disappointed. But if you're coming every Sunday, and if every single one of us is coming with a servant-hearted attitude saying, I'm going to bless other people, let me tell you, you're going to go away blessed, and everybody else is going to go away blessed. Everybody wins. We're going to start doing something on Sundays where we're going to introduce you know, people from church. 
just at the front. Maybe some, one Sunday is going to be a family. Other Sundays is going to be three or four people. And we're just going to say to them, we want to just introduce yourselves. What can we pray for you this week? And for that week, we're going to commit to pray for that family or that group of people to get to know each other and to make sure that even if we grow numerically, we're not becoming one of those churches that's just an event you attend to, but we're interconnected and we do life together as much as we can in our context, okay? We're not going to have supper in each other's homes like the early church did. See, that's descriptive. What's prescriptive is that we have to have fellowship with one another, however we best can do in our circumstances. But that's my encouragement. Go beyond the gatherings. Sing loud on a Sunday. You want to encourage other people? Sing loud on a Sunday when you come. Because there's somebody here that's probably got a diagnosis last week that they dread. And they probably can't sing it. And by you engaging and singing that, and they listen to your voice, they say, the Lord is strong. I can't say those words. But this is my family singing with me. And my heart is strengthened. That's how we do life together. That's how we're interconnected. Next one is what we just did. It says the breaking of bread. And that's the, 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 the phrase that is being used for communion with Jesus instituted. And I think the breaking of bread is an identity-shaping introspection. It's an opportunity to both examine ourselves and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. It's just what we did early on. We remember about the love of Christ. We look in the mirror and maybe, like the prodigal son, we come back home. And we respond to God's love as he opens up his arms and invites us. Whenever we have communion, we look back and we see Jesus' love displayed on the cross. We look inside and maybe we come with repentance, coming back home. Because we've not lived as we should have done. We look up and we see the beauty of who he is and we worship him. And we look forward. This is not home. We're only going to do this until Jesus comes back. It's identity shaping. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it should rock our identity. And if we've forgotten who we are, we should go away from here saying, I am the beloved from whom Christ has given his life. I am coming with a repentant heart and receive grace before a God who loves me more than I could ever imagine. And I have a destination in a home that isn't here with all the mess. I belong somewhere else. And every time we come around this table... Every time we receive the bread, every time we receive the cup, we're proclaiming that truth of who he is and who we are. And it's a sacred opportunity. And we shouldn't trivialize it. I sometimes think it would be great to have it every Sunday. I guess a lot of the churches in our tribe had done away with it because it probably became so mechanical and devoid of meaning. And they wanted to guard that. But oh, how wonderful would it be if we managed to every single week keep that sense of aliveness. 
without jazzing it up, because that's the pressure always. Pastor, can you make it a bit different? It shouldn't have to be jazzed up. It should be such a sacred moment and such an identity-shaping moment. Coming around the table, remembering God's love. And then intercession. The breaking of bread and to prayer. And you can see glimpses, and we're going to delve a little bit further in. As we can see the early church at prayer. So Peter and John are arrested. And then the church is praying for their release. And, and, and then God does some miraculous work. So if you want to ask the question, what is this prayer that, that's being talked about here? Is that intercession, which is a word that means when, you, when you're standing in between two people on behalf of them. An intercession is when you come in prayer before God on behalf of somebody else. That's what the church did for Peter and John. Peter and John were arrested because they proclaimed Jesus. And the church stood in between. and They said, we're going to pray for these people. We're going to pray for their release. We're going to pray for God to do a miraculous thing. And they prayed and God delivered. And then... Again, we look at the prayer, and I won't go there, but after their release, it says they were gathered together, and the whole place shook, and they prayed. What did they pray? They prayed two things. Lord, show your power through miraculous signs, and convict people through your word. They prayed for the non-believers. So they prayed for their fellow believers, and they prayed for their non-believers. That's what intercession is about, and that's what the early church did really well. So my encouragement to us is to be an intercessory church. I want to inject as much more prayer in the services on Sunday. I cannot say that as your pastor, I believe in the power of prayer when we don't pray in the main service on a Sunday. That has to be reflected. People often have this saying that has different variations, but, you know, whatever is important to you, it's a priority to you. Or whatever is important to you, you talk about it. The same kind of thing. What we do on a Sunday morning should say to anybody else, what is this church about? What does this church treasure? What's important in this church? So my desire is that we inject even more prayer, public prayer, in the life of the church, in the services that we have. And I'm saying to you, pray out loud. Pray out loud. It's such an encouragement. It's such a powerful encouragement. And I know people say, well, I can't hear, you know, because I'm at the top. Don't worry about it. There's probably going to be somebody up where you are that's going to pray. You can hear them say amen to that. You know, and somebody else is going to pray down here. We can say, it's all right. Oh, can we please have a microphone or whatever else next? Come on. It's okay. I mean, I even dream of the days when we pray out loud all together. You know? And we're not embarrassed about praying. Prayer has been eliminated out of the life of the church. Why? Because in case somebody else comes from the outside, then they might find it a bit boring. My word. Isn't about that, is it? Frankly, if I'm going through it, if you're going through it, what kind of church would you rather have? A church that lifts up their voices together, that the place shakes up, or a place where there's no prayer? You know the answer, as much as I do.
So my encouragement is for us to develop the art of this. Pray at home. Pray at home. Do lists. When somebody shares on WhatsApp about prayer need, you know, pray about that. Put it on your list, you know, and pray. And follow it up and just say, hey, how is it going? You know, how can I pray for you? How can I, you know? Some, some people kind of said, said to me, oh, you know, I was worried I was going to bother you. Trust me. There's not been a lot of people bothering me. I would have loved a lot more people bothering me. You can ask. If I'm sharing a prayer need, you can ask. It's, it's great. It's helpful. So don't feel embarrassed about doing that. Don't feel like you're trespassing or anything like that. And the same when we gather together. Let's pray. You know, if we're here, just be bold. Just say it in your own words. You know, however you need to be. That's what we want you to be normal. Normal church. We use our own words, but we pray together and have that sense of knocking on God's door. Have a prayer list. That's how you grow as an intercessor. Have a prayer list. And maybe, shall I say it, my last point on here on the practical stuff. Come to the prayer meeting. Come to the prayer meeting. I'll tell you why. Some of you have never, ever been. And there might be very good reasons why not. Very practical. That's okay. But can I just say, if you believe in prayer, and you believe in unity, and you've never, ever, 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 and you have no reason not to, Can I just encourage you to come? And you might say, I don't know how to pray. I tell you what I've learned to pray by being with other Christians who pray. I'm struggling to pray. Do you know how my prayer life got energized and encouraged? By going and being with other Christians who pray. Most of the time, Satan just lies to us and intimidates us and says to us, don't go because you're rubbish at it. And you're going to be the only one in the room who's not going to know how to pray. And you're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Absolute rubbish. It's not true. Instead, you should be saying, that's a lie. I'm going to go. I may not be great at praying. I may be a bit nervous about it. But you know what? I'm going to go. And by God's power, I'm going to learn how to pray. And by God's power, I'm going to have the courage to open my mouth and pray. Because there is power in that. And I would even say, like with baptism, sometimes I say to people about baptism, it's a hold that Satan can have on you. It's a fear. And sometimes you just need to say, okay, I'm going to say no to that fear, and I'm going to step over that, and great release and breakthrough happens. Same with praying out loud. Not bullying you. You know I'm not a bully. But I'm just saying to you, just get to that place where you're actually saying, do you know what? I don't really care what people think. I don't really care about anything else. I'm going to be praying out loud. The moment you begin to open your mouth, there is something very powerful that the Lord will give you boldness. And I sometimes think some of those things are even linked to our evangelism and witnessing. If we struggle (laughs) and are scared to pray at the prayer meeting, I think we're going to be very much struggling to sometimes tell other people about Jesus. So part of the way we grow in this is by actually saying, by God's grace, I'm going to pray out loud. Because it's more important to pray for the brother and sister who's going through a hard time than it is to feel nervous about me and I'm going to sound and what people... People don't think anything. It's all in our heads. So prayer is the other thing that was really important. Well, you know those four things, and they are incredibly powerful. 
And they are part of what God wants to build within us in terms of spiritual maturity, instruction, being interconnected, having an identity, and being intercessors. And we're going to see how that actually spills out in an overflow into our mission and in our evangelism as it did in the early church. This is just such a wonderful opportunity to come before God and, and, and say, God, I want to grow into all these areas. You know, sometimes the temptation is to kind of have pick and mix, but we kind of need all four. It's not kind of saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to choose one of them. We need to grow in all four. And we might be different stages in that growth, but our hunger and passion and pursuit should be for that as we come before God. It's such an amazing thing to know that we can't do this on our own. So I'm not going, like I would say to you, okay, Ian, now you have to lose weight. So you have to go to the gym and you have to run 10K every day. That's not what I'm doing. You know, what I'm saying to us all, this is not about legalism. By the way, Ian doesn't need to lose weight. It's not prophetic. (laughs) So it's not about a self-help sort of initiative. This is about us coming before God saying, God, I want to be Christ-like. That's the goal. It's not about pleasing the pastors. It's not about, you know, having the perfect church. It's about being Christ-like. And that's the calling that we have. And we come with a desire and we say, I want to be like Jesus. God, will you work in my heart in these areas to shape me like Christ? You know what you need to do. You know what you need to take me through. You know how to teach me. All I want to be is like clay in the potter's hands that is willing to be molded. And that way, suddenly, without special vision and special systems, this church will be a simple church, normal church, acts like church after God's own heart. Because God's people are seeking to be Christ-like. Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you so much that you made that wonderful promise that whatever good work you began, you will bring it to completion. So we're not discouraged. We are eager. We are expectant. There's a great hunger within us. What times to live in. Lord, you have chosen us like you have chosen Esther for such a time as this. We don't get to choose where we live and what the history and the cultural context is. What we are called to do is to resemble Jesus. And I pray that you'll continue to take hold of us and mold us and shape us into his likeness. All we want to say, we're available. And we long for you to keep on working in us through your grace. Amen.